Welcome to a special episode of the Manchester United podcast. Today, we commemorate one of our most beloved sons, Sir Bobby Charlton, who passed away last weekend at the age of 86. There are no superlatives worthy of describing just how much Sir Bobby's contribution to the club is valued. And similarly, there are no words to articulate just how profound and sad this loss is to everyone associated with Manchester United. Sir Bobby arrived at United in 1953, beginning an association with the club which lasted his entire life and will continue to last forevermore. He was a member of the Busby Babes and scored two goals on his debut against Cholton Athletic in October 1956. Instantly making an impact, he became a fixture in the side which won the league title that season. In February 1958, he was a survivor of the Munich air disaster, which claimed the lives of many of his friends and colleagues. Miraculously, he was playing football a few weeks later and even made his England debut that very same season. Sir Matt Busby rebuilt his side around Sir Bobby and it was a wise choice. The FA Cup victory in 1963 was a springboard for a new generation of success with the holy trinity of Sir Bobby Charlton alongside Dennis Law and George Best, inspiring league championship wins in 1965 and 1967. Charlton was captain on the night of May 29th, 1968, when he scored twice against Benfica at Wembley to help United win their first ever European Cup, 10 years after Munich. 758 appearances, 249 goals, three league titles, an FA Cup, a European Cup, and of course with England, a World Cup in 1966, the Ballon d'Or winner that very same year. He earned 106 caps for England and scored 49 goals for his country which meant that he was, for over 40 years, the leading goalscorer for club and country. It is quite simply the greatest story ever told in football. Hundreds of Manchester United players through the years have shared remarkable stories about their experiences with Sir Bobby, and we present to you a selection of our favourites told on our podcast as we remember Sir Bobby Cholton. Amazing, Helena, with me as always. Maisie, I think the most sensible thing to do is start with you and your memories of Bobby. Obviously, an absolute gentleman. Um, I always used to go into the dressing rooms before the games, after the games. I think it was just off uh, off camera, off mic, um, about Sir Bobby joining training in uh, Austria Vienna in 96, I think he was. So he would have been possibly 59, 60. And he was brilliant. He was so good. Um, training with the first team, he just sort of like glided across the pitch in this in this sort of way, elegantly way. But yeah, did shooting after that, and even then, left and right foot just smashing him in the back of the net. It would have been amazing to have played with him. I mean, you talk about players who could you know hit balls left foot, right foot. I'm not quite sure what his best foot would have been, his favourite foot. Possibly he's right, but you see some of the goals he scores with his left foot. Pretty much like Scolzi, the way you strike a ball, just perfection. And and that will always stick with me, having trained with such a legend of Manchester United in in the Champions League knockout when we went on to win the game 2-0. But Sir Bobby that night was training. Phenomenal. I think we're very fortunate that he was one of our own. You know, the whole world of football has been 
remembering him and commemorating him over the last few days. And it makes you really proud that he was a Manchester United man through and through. Yeah. Um, it's not just the fact that he played football for Manchester United. Globally, an absolute superstar. You know, you put him on the, on the same pages as, you know, Maradona and Pele. You could put him up there with those players and who are just absolute outstanding players of football. So it's not just, yes, he played for Manchester United in England, globally, an absolute iconic superstar. We're going to get uh, some stories now from our guests and we're going to start with John Aston Jr. He was a fellow European Cup winner and he shares his memories of first hearing about the Munich Air disaster. It's really very strange. I was 10, I was at junior school, not even senior school. And I'll tell you what they, I'll tell you why it's very strange for me. And, and I never realised this till, till I'd finished playing football. I was in my mid thirties because you come to a club and you're with your mates. Like you, you look up to some of them because they're senior than you and things like that. But I remember it being 10. I, it, it, it was devastating. It, it was awful. I mean, that, that's all you can say. But 10 years after Munich, I was playing in the European Cup final. My life had doubled from 10 to 20, and but I'm still a very young man. And I'm playing with Charlton, Billy Folks, Shea Brennan, Harry Gregg was here, lads, uh, lads who, and probably more, who, who were involved with the club, either at Munich or in Munich. I never gave that a thought. I, it didn't, I, I was a part of the team, I'm, you know, I've got mm. things to do. And I remember being at home when I finished and I thought, blimey neck, you know, how must that have been for Bobby, you know, and, 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 and what have you, uh, to, to win that just only 10 years after. To me, it was a long time because, like I said, my life had doubled from 10 to 20. But for those lads, it must have been, it must have been haunting them, yeah. you know. I used to room with Bobby at times and whether they put him with me to look after me or what, I don't know. And he never used to speak about it. And then one day we sat in a hotel room and out of the blue, he said, you know, Johnny, and he was looking a bit ponderous. And I said, what, what, Bob? And he said, a day never goes by when I don't think of those lads. And I thought, gee, it sounded very profound. You know, I thought, you know, I can't believe that. And he also, and then he, he went off onto a little thing. And it was all, to, now I'm speaking about it, it comes to mind. There was an article about Duncan Edwards. And he put the paper down and he said, he's the only player that made me feel inadequate. Uh, so that Duncan Edwards must have been some guy, you know, if you're making mm. Bobby feel inadequate. So, yeah, it's... Um, so that that's my memories in Munich. Yeah, a lot of it came after I f I'd, I'd finished playing, a lot of the thoughts about it. We're going to come back to John Aston Jr. later because he has an incredible story which perfectly shows you the kind of man that Sir Bobby Charlton was. But first, Ander Herrera told us about a night surprise waiting for him when he first signed for Manchester United. When you arrived at Manchester United, is it true that when you got to Carrington, Sir Bobby Charlton was waiting yeah, for you? he was waiting for me. I was happy, but my dad was even happier. <laughs> Uh, because I couldn't have the chance to, to watch him play but my dad did so he was happy uh, that was I come back to the question before that talks about what United is uh, I was a young guy my career so far was not 
Uh, I was not the, f the most famous player in the world. I was like, a project of, of, of a football player for, for Manchester United and Sir Bobby Charlton was waiting for me there. So thanks to him, thanks to, to the club because they, that talks good about what, what the club is and how they treat people. And from Ander to Dimitar Berbatov. It must have been, um, obviously you'd been at big clubs before United, but making your debut against Liverpool. Did you, did you understand the rivalry before? And, uh... No, to be honest, no. Another game for me. Uh, and I always try to approach the games, even with Spurs and Arsenal, like mm -hmm. another game. Not overthinking so much. Yeah. Yes, big teams, big players, but still, you, you win it, you lose it. You, you try to do your best. But in that Liverpool game, Sir Alex is coming, I'm tying my shoes, and he's like, Berps, let me introduce you to... Sir Bobby? To Sir Bobby, yeah. And I'm like, what, boss? I'm trying to concentrate here in the game. I don't need any more pressure. <laughs> Come on, is that the right moment to do that? Thinking, not saying it. You know, it's yeah. like, nice to meet you, you know, big corner and stuff, but, you know, and that's it. But thinking in the game, how to, yeah, yeah. to do something in the game. This was a funny story, but then you s switch and try to think about the game. And in the end, it didn't finish our way. We lost 2-1, I think, if I remember correctly. But I was nervous before that because my dream was coming true now and standards are high and you need to keep up to that. And, you know, I was, I was really nervous. Now to another teammate of Sir Bobby's, Alex Stepney was the goalkeeper for us in the 1968 European Cup victory. We start with Alex 10 years earlier, telling us how as a young boy from London with no connections to Manchester United, he was devastated to hear about the Munich air disaster. When I was 15, uh, I had a little job. Uh, so that when I come home from school, I, I actually uh, used to go to the corner shop and I, I, I used to go and deliver groceries to to old people, you know, on my bike, uh, and because uh, I, I, I mean, I was at fifteen. I can, <laughs> I, I've got to tell you that I just knocked on this door. This guy who used to talk to me about football, and he comes to the door and he was crying. This old guy was crying. And I said, "Well, what's the matter?" He said, "Have you not heard?" I said, "What? What?" He said, "The Manchester United planes crashed." He said, "Lots of players have lost their lives," and it hit me. It not only hit me as much then as what he'd done to him. You know, he, he was a London lad, you know. And I've got to tell you that, that it affected everybody right across the country, right across the world. And I, I knew how much it meant, Manchester United, and how it happened, obviously, on, on the travels to the European Cup. And here I am. How the hell have I come in this short time? to be part of the same team. Yeah, then yeah. you've gone to Manchester United sharing a dressing room with some of these players who have been through this absolute tragedy. It's obviously touched Maisie, that story, because he's got tears in his eyes, I can see. Yeah. Um, but that is just incredible. And I'm sure for you, Alex, you didn't probably know how to approach the team, how to approach Sir Matt. That, Ellen, you're, you're absolutely right, because... I wondered, you know, and what Sam said there, what was he, what was what was going to go through my mind uh, when this happened? And my th first first thoughts were, do they talk about it? Do they talk about it? And do you know what? The f from the very first moment I met those lads, which Matt introduced me, they were training on the on the Wednesday morning because they were playing Blackpool in a, a League Cup tie to in the evening at Blackpool, uh, and, he took me, and he introduced me to those lads. And I tell you what, 
I knew then, not a word. They welcomed me with open arms, but I, I knew no one spoke about it. And we never did. No one ever spoke about it. I mean, and when you got Matt and, uh, of course, Bobby and, and Bill Fultz, you know, who survived yeah. the crash, mm-hmm. it was never, ever mentioned. Was that, did that feel strange to you or you were you quite happy with that? No, I, I, I was very happy with it. Yeah. And I, I, I've always felt that looking back, and I mean, coming back to, to what, where we are now, that even when eventually we we done what we had to do in 68, it was ironic that um, when that final whistle went, if you look at the things, all of us went to Bobby, Bill and Matt. Mm. So all what I, I had in my mind, every other player had in their mind, but without saying anything. It was just for them. Yeah. Even after his playing days, Sir Bobby Charlton was always happy to give advice to Manchester United players, as we'll hear from our next two guests, Darren Gibson and Rio Ferdinand. Let's start with Darren. And then I suppose as the season went on, you got more and more minutes, you played more games, you got your first goal against Southampton in the FA Cup. Yeah. Was that, I have a feeling I remember it, you were about 10 yards out, you took a touch and then sort of volleyed it in? Yeah, I think uh, it might have been Waza, put it across the box. Yeah, had a, had a touch, popped up lovely and just smashed it in. When did the point come when the whole crowd started shouting shoot? Was that after a few appearances? Yeah, I think, I can't remember what game it was, but Sir Bobby used to come into the, the dressing room after the games. And I don't know if it was after a game or at the training ground. I just remember him saying to me, listen, son, they don't remember the ones you miss. Just keep shooting. And it sort of stuck with me. So I was just thinking from then, I'm just shooting from everywhere. <laughs> Every time I get a chance, I'm shooting. Uh, but it worked. A few of them flew in for me. Yeah. Did any of your teammates or the manager ever question that philosophy? Uh, no, I don't, so, I don't if know. Sir Bobby Charlton's telling you, you just yeah. Yeah. don't worry about anybody else. I don't think anyone else heard what he said, <laughs> to be honest with you. But there was a few times, uh, I think it might have been after a West Ham game, West Ham away when I scored again. I had about 10 shots in the game and I uh, got on the bus afterwards and Giggs, he was like, here he is, Darren Lampard. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Yeah, well, I got a bit of stick from the lads. But don't matter, does it? Yeah. Don't matter. Now to Rio, talking about the 2008 Champions League final in Moscow. One thing would be great to talk about and a night that wasn't here, but you got to wear the armband. We played against an English team. And you won the Champions League. Mm. What did that feel like? No, it was. Um, yeah, that's, that's the stuff of dreams. I think you, uh, that for me was the icing on the cake in my whole career at United. I think winning the leagues and different cups that you win, the Champions League is like the holy grail yeah. of club football. So to be able to kind of lead the team out, get to the to the final stages, and then obviously get to lift it and win it, it was just like wow. That's like that's the most emotional I've ever been on a football pitch in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Mate, I was quite, I was, I, Vida went to be real, stop, stop, not here, not here. <laughs> it was Sir Bobby, Sir Bobby Charlton was talking to me just before he we went and lifted the trophy. And he was just talking to me about, about, about the history and like, do you know, like, who's lifted it? And just going through a little bit of the ages a little bit with me. And then the magnitude of what you do, yeah, yeah. Kind of just hit me at that moment. And I started going, my mouth started going. And um, Vida went, Ferdic, not here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I gave it myself and I was aware. 
But it was, uh, yeah, it was, cra- it was crazy. It was a mad experience. Do you think the history, you'd mentioned the history there. Is that something you knew a lot about before you moved to Manchester nothing. United? No. I knew nothing. I knew nothing about Best Law, Charlton. I knew obviously who they were. Yeah. I had no idea on what the magnitude, magnitude of what they'd yeah. done here and how, how much they meant to, to the people of Manchester mm-hmm. and stuff. And but something you probably learned quite quickly playing yeah, but for the club. I, I, I think, I don't know, maybe you tell me what you thought, but when I came here, immediately, you just immerse yourself in it yeah. all. You just, you yeah. want to know the history. You yeah. want to know how much they've won. You know, want to know, you want to know who's done what. Don't forget, you're walking around. Brian Robson's still doing the ambassador <laughs> role here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Paddy Crerand. Paddy, yeah. Like, you've got all these other guys who've won massive, massive things here, and you almost feel inadequate. That's how I used to feel. I used to think I can't really talk too much to these guys until I've won something at least. When, I, when I signed for the club, the, the gaffer didn't obviously nothing about wages, nothing about the money. He just took me to the trophy room and told me about the history of the club, and hmm. he took me into the middle of the pitch and just said, "This is it. This is Manchester United." And I'm like, "I still get it now." That's mm. class, isn't it? It's really better. It still get me now. It does. He done that to me, not in the trophy room. He, t- he walked out on the pitch yeah. there, and he said, "This is where great players have played." You know what I mean? And it's like it's a, it's a. He knows, man. He just knew you didn't have to say much. No. The little things here and just they prodigy. It's incredible. It's incredible. The players that have played on that pitch oh. for Manchester United is like, wow. Super, just genuine superstars. Superstars. We have two more Sir Bobby stories left for you. Sir Alex Ferguson had an interesting point of view on how things might have been if United had signed Paul Gascoigne. Were there any players that you ever desperately wanted? Because obviously people talk about Shearer and maybe Ronaldinho, Wesley Snyder, Zidane maybe, uh, and names that are often thrown around as ones that we were maybe interested in. Were there ones you ever looked at and thought, if only we'd have got you? Well, you mentioned the boys there. This came up a lot there. I was never interested in Schneider. I don't know where it came from. It's every single that. summer that came you from. Get, you get that a lot of that. And I remember when I first came, every Sunday the people, um, they were throwing names all, all, all the time, you know. But um, in, in, in reality, you have to, there's only one that can always come to my mind, and that's Gascoigne. And he was absolutely fantastic. I think if we'd have got him... I think he would have had a great career. I really do. I'm not saying he didn't have a good, good, good career, but I think he did a better career with us. Because we had Geordies in our squad with Brian Robson, with Steve Bruce, with Bobby Charlton. I mean, Bobby Charlton would have been a fantastic uh, mentor to him. Because he was such a fantastic man. And he'd even Gary Palliser, although it was Middlesbrough, they don't... I know they don't count as a jury, <laughs> but it, someone understands the culture with Gary Wood, um, and he, he promised to sign for us. And I went holiday, and uh, got a phone call to f- the front desk. I went, Martin Edwards says he signed for Tottenham. I mean, dear me! And maybe we've saved the best till last. We're going back to European Cup winner John Aston Jr. now to share stories about the type of man that Sir Bobby was away from football as well as what happened the night after the 1968 European Cup victory. I can tell you a story about Bobby that involves football in a way, but it was remarkable. And you've got to understand, you've got to understand it was in the days before the internet and stuff like that. 
And some of the some of the tours we had when we used to, the, it wasn't like United now. They'd be playing stellar teams. We was in Austria playing a team called Klagenfurt, which is I don't know if you can picture Austria, but it's like a sausage of a country. And Klagenfurt's at one end, and Vienna's at the other. And we stayed in what I can only describe as a commercial class hotel, as again the money wasn't about if we were United in those days. And on in the reception area was a Daily Telegraph, and some some um, rep had left it there, and it was about two days old. This Daily Telegraph, and we go in the room, and he starts reading it, Bobby, and it becomes. He becomes apoplectic. He's going, well, I said, what's the matter, Bob? And he's pointing at it. So he goes out the room without being able to get his words out. And he goes goes and sees the boss, Matt Busby. So he comes back and he starts packing his stuff in his case. I said, God, what's happened? And then he's, he's pointing to this article. Now, this would be about 1967, just after the World Cup. And Lev Yashin, the great Russian goalkeeper, was having a testimonial. And I, I looked it up later. There was over 100,000 at this testimonial. And it invited, invited players from everywhere, from Spain, Hento, Di Stefano, Pelli was going. All these great players were going. And he tried to get hold of three World Cup winners. And they'd all refused to go. And Bobby got a car, let's presume a taxi, went from Klagenfurt under his own steam to Vienna, got a flight to Moscow, and then he came back. We'd moved at the time. We was in Germany, I think Frankfurt or somewhere. Landed at Frankfurt, and I'll never, ever forget because I was rooming with him. And he came in the room and he put his case down. And I said, good trip, Bob. And he said, Johnny. He said, I have never been so embarrassed in my life. So I said, what's the matter, Bob? (laughs) He said, well, he said, we had the, he said, the big crowd. He said, they had a fantastic reception for Lev Yashin afterwards. And he said, everybody had a present except me. Because all the FAs had sent, and I said, and I was only 20 and I didn't like saying, you've given the best present of all, Bob. You've gone yourself, you know. But that's the sort of, that is the sort of man no, not football, that's the sort of man Bobby Charlton was in his uh, top draw, you know. So of your teammates in that era, mm-hmm. who was the best? Well, it depends what day you ask, really. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, I would say that, that the greatest individual I've seen is George Best because he'd be absolutely fantastic today if, if he wasn't being hacked down. Dennis was sharp like a razor. But for the whole package, the whole, it's not that he was a better footballer because you can't, it's like differentiating between three great artists. My favourite is, is, is Bob because this club, I mean, he's not a Mancunian born, but he's a Mancunian by right now. And, and this club means so much to him. And, and, um, he really is, he, he really is, you know. I, I would say if you cut Bobby in half, he'd bleed red. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Ten years after Munich, the European Cup. Yep. Obviously, we're going to have to talk about that. Yep. What can you remember about the day, the night, the build-up? Oh, yeah, well, yeah, we 
the builder was terrific. We we stayed in a, a place in Egham in, in London and um, I always thought we were going to win it. I, I was pleased we were playing Benfica, who were a good football. So you'd, they'd beaten Juventus in the, in the semi. And so, and because it was at Wembley and because of United and, and, and I thought, well, we're, we're going to win this. Um, we're going to win it. And afterwards... Uh, we had a we, we had a celebration do, but Bobby Charlton and I think it was Harry Gregg. I'm not sure there's anybody. They never went. They just disappeared into the rooms. They couldn't. It must have been so emotional for them, you know. Um, and and they couldn't take. They must have had so many memories that they mm. couldn't take the, um, the 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 aftermath of it really. Maisie, some beautiful stories there, and I should mention the beautiful tribute that the club did before the Champions League game this week. I mean, it was such an emotional occasion. When that lone piper came out of the tunnel, the crowd just went completely silent. It was an incredible thing to witness. It was. Um, I wasn't working the game, but I thought I would go to, to pay my respects. And when that lone piper came out, it was, as you said, Helen, you could hear a pin drop in the stadium. It was absolutely beautiful. It was so nice and so fitting that there wasn't there was no noise, it was just total silence. Just hearing that it's it's I've actually got goose pimples now thinking about it. It was one of those moments. It was it was incredible. It was um it was absolutely beautiful. It really, really was. And uh And fitting that Alex Stepney, the manager, and of course Dan Gore followed that lone piper as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um the fans were impeccable. Absolutely impeccable, and uh, yeah, and rightly so. It was, it was, it was sensational. It really, really was. Fitting tribute. Yeah, it was. It was incredible to be in the stadium for that. I think from that experience, and then hearing all of the stories from everybody, this he was such a figure at Manchester United, whether he was playing or as a director or just as someone just to join in training or to share a story or just to listen or a word of advice. And I think the thing that obviously shines through all of these stories is it just the. The amount of respect and the admiration and the affection that everybody holds for Sir Bobby Charlton, probably the greatest from English football. He actually did win it all and he'll never be forgotten. 